that's a very good point that you bring up is when you have new people on the board, there's a period where they have to learn to trust. And they do. If you have a good staff and staff is very upfront and accommodating, it doesn't take long for the elected official to learn, hey, these folks are doing the right thing. They have their best in mind for our residents and I can trust them. When they first get on the board, they don't know that. They don't know us. They don't know me. They have no experience with what I do or what my staff does. Yeah, they, they're there a lot. They're on your leg. They, they want to know that stuff. But give them what they want. Tell them what they want to know. You give them the information they want to know and they'll learn to trust you. Hello. We are back after a longer break than intended for reasons that are mostly about the energy it takes to start back up once you finish out a season. I am Nancy Hess, host of PCC Local Time, where we take you inside the profession of municipal management through interviews with folks who are shaping the conversations in this arena. We have some great podcast episodes for 2023, and new episodes are still unfolding. This month and next, we will be talking about regional and community partnerships in local government, and you can learn more and be engaged in these topics by signing up for our newsletter at the link provided in the show notes or visit the website at pioneeringchange.community. I am starting off this season with a longtime colleague and friend who has been managing Lower Allen Township in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania since 2005. Like all the best managers I know, Tom makes those around him look good while staying under the radar. I have observed him with his management team when lively differences and thoughts are shared. He takes a quiet lead and acts with confidence when it might have been easier to just take control or shut down new ideas. His openness to the exchange of ideas also makes me comfortable when I work with him as an HR consultant. So I want to shape the conversation today around how he thinks about challenges confronting local government and some of the important ways his career has been shaped. Among managers, Tom stands out for his wisdom, his openness to considering new ideas, and his steadfast, abiding values centered around public service. I tell him he makes municipal management look easy, but I assure you it is anything but. Municipal managers have stories to tell that reveal who we are in our communities and the impact we can make on a local level. You can learn more about Tom in the show notes, but also we'll hear today about how he shaped his presidency of APMM in 2018 and 2019. So let's get this conversation started. It's really great to have this conversation with you, Tom. I know we have the opportunity every now and then to talk because we are geographically close enough that we can have lunch or coffee together, which is great. And we've done some good work together over the years. I think this is going to be even rich conversation on a number of topics today. And thank you so much. Well, for coming thank in. for asking me. We always have great conversations because we they're, do. they're a general nature. We both have an interest in the profession and we're not talking about some specific project or something like that. So it allows yeah. us to expand a little bit, talk about the state of the yeah. profession in general. I'd like to think we've learned something from each other over the years. I agree. Absolutely. That's what makes it a good relationship. I'm going to start today. I'm asking the history of your township just to allow the listeners a sense. I can describe when I come into your township, it's it's eclectic. That's the word I would say. It's some beautiful little park. You can feel a sense of history. And then there's some industry. I'm not sure 
what is a proper description of the history of the township. I don't know if you can give us just a synopsis. Yeah, it's, it started out like most of the townships outside of the urban area. It was primarily farming. Following the World Wars, a lot of the development, most all of the development, practically took place in the northern tier. Um, a lot of developed neighborhoods popped up. That's where primarily you know, industry was centered in the southern part of the township remained mostly agricultural. And that area started developing probably post 1980s. And now it's getting built up. We have a rather major development up there going on down there right now. It's a traditional neighborhood design, which we had to do some work on our zoning ordinance to allow that, but it's called Arcona and it's like a 10, 12 year plan. We're getting built out. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of, there's really no big tracks left. Most of our development from now on is going to be smaller infill development, except for whatever projects we can push on the redevelopment front. Mm -hmm. Yes, that has come up and we're going to touch on redevelopment here. I also saw something that maybe you can correct this notion, but I thought I read that, that the, there's a correctional institute that's actually in the, inside the township, the Camp Hill. That is correct. The Camp Hill, the state correctional institute at Camp Hill. I never, never come up in conversations. Are there any services that, that sort of touch on that or is it sort of an island in and of itself? Uh, whenever there is an incident and there was a rather large incident there in 1989, there was a large riot in which they burned part of the institute. They had their own, on the perimeter, there was township police and state police and police from every local jurisdiction. The only people that had to go, we had firefighters that were working and our EMS folks had to go inside to pick up some injured guards and prisoners. That was, but other than that, we don't really provide services to them. And there's the stormwater issue since they are the department of the state, we do build them for stormwater and they don't pay. Yeah. This sort of leads into the second question about the arc of your career. And I have over the years never been, I've never thought of there being a prison there. I do think about just the maturity. I'm going to use that word, the maturity of your police services. Ray Rhodes was there. He had just become township manager, I think, when I first met you. And I don't know if that's where you're, I'm trying to remember when you were hired in that period, but perhaps you could say also a word about how, what was happening when Ray Rhodes came into the, to the township. Was the professional manager model something that the board had conceived? Did it have to do with some of the needs in the area? Because again, your township was really developing in interesting ways. We had a manager, commissioner, form of government for quite a while, going back into the late 60s. So Ray was probably the, I don't know, maybe fourth manager. There was a period of time where we had a couple that were here for a very short duration. So I'm not sure if he was fourth or fifth. But we had a professional manager here before him who did very well and was interested in training and the academic side of learning our professions very well. So the board, they were used to that. They had a taste of that. And when they, Ray was first our police chief. So when our former police chief retired, they decided to do an executive search and use firm, do a national search for the next police chief. They found Ray down in, I believe he's in Missouri, small town outside of, out of Kansas city. And uh, he had some ideas that he laid before them during his interview about a public safety umbrella concept under which fire police, 
EMS would all operate and emergency management as well. They liked that concept and that pro probably was the reason, aside from just Ray's accomplishments, or he was extremely intelligent guy, still is. And I'm sure he just wowed them with his, what he could bring to the township or what, where he could take our department. Our department was pretty professional before that. We were not accredited. Not many were at that time. It was one of Ray's pushes to get us accredited as quickly as possible. So we are an internationally accredited agency, one of the probably a dozen or two in Pennsylvania. So Ray did a great job. I was hired back in 1988. I was actually hired probably about nine months before Ray. I was hired as the accounting supervisor. And then from there, just moved up. Whenever there was an opening, I guess they bumped Tom. I became the what was called the fiscal officer and then the finance director and the director of administrative services. And then we threw the or the assistant manager tag on there. Same duties, same pay. <laughs> extra title. Yes, extra title. I was now second in command. And then when Ray retired in 2006, I believe it was, I became the interim manager and then appointed full-time as in 2007. Yeah. I think the path of your career gave you a very wide view, broad perspective from an early time. And so I wonder if it gives you some satisfaction looking back over this time, just to see how the township has evolved and if there's anything that comes to mind in terms of you know, what stands out over that period of time in ter terms of changes. Wow. Yes. Uh, being involved primarily with financing, with finances and accounting gave me a good background in how the money it's great to have plans, but you got to finance those and you have to balance the needs of the people with the ability of them to pay for things. So I had, I was well-grounded in that, but becoming manager, I had the opportunity to really look at some other things. One of the most, probably what stood out the most was, I think it was back in 2006, we completed a, a comprehensive plan. And in that plan, we identified four areas of opportunity within the township that we wanted to focus on understanding that development, a new development was going to come to an end and that we needed to really look at redevelopment. And uh, I asked the board what they thought about setting up a development authority to focus on specifically those questions. Not that the board of commissioners couldn't do that, but they, we want to have somebody, I wanted to have somebody that was more focused. That was their only focus, their only job. They didn't have to worry about lease contracts and sanitation, anything else. They just worry about looking for opportunities for development. It was around that time, our assistant manager retired and uh, the board was not interested in hiring another assistant manager, but it did convince them to allow me to use that salary to hire a director of economic development. And that's when Aaron Trone came on board. Aaron Genesta, she was not at the time. Second smart, probably second smartest thing I ever did here was bringing her on. And <laughs> she, she interacted with the development authority and it took 10 years. There were some small projects they worked on in the interim, but they really got to take a look at some areas of the township for opportunities of development. And then, and then the, of course, the Bonton opportunity fell on our lab and it was a big deal for us. Let's go ahead and talk about that because that was one of the topics that was just so much fun not to have Erin on the podcast. She comes with such a interesting experience and she really put it to use there at the township and I said to you before this recording that I really want to hear your perspective I heard her perspective and it's great but I know that from your position you had to assess risks and opportunities and I thought you could walk us through what that felt like from your and I'll just say just to set it up because I'm 
live nearby. I know that corridor and that you had in mind that corridor needed to change and be redeveloped is what an awesome like challenge. I am I can just imagine how this might have weighed on you in terms of what was going to be done with that area. Oh, well, yes. Luck would have it, it actually falls in between two of the opportunity areas that we identified on our 2006 comp plan. Weren't, we weren't looking for opportunities in that specific area because we didn't really have any inkling at the time that anybody was, you know, anything was closing down, anything big was closing down. And then, of course, the news broke that Bonton was closing down their stores. And Aaron and I happened to be at breakfast. I, I, have, I have breakfast meetings every other week with my directors where we get out of the office and I, I get to treat them to a breakfast and we get to talk about things that without interruptions that we would normally get over here. But anyway, that day she says, wow, I did read about that in the paper and that's something that's going to be a big loss for the township and all that property. Wouldn't it be great if we could buy that and do something with it? And my response is, why don't we? And she said, well, they want like $8 million for the property. And I said, the development authority has no money. So anything we do, we're going to have to borrow money, whether we borrow 2 million or 8 million. So it started getting exciting at that point because it was not a no, it was, this, is, this wasn't something we can't do, it's something we can do. So she, she took to the development authority. They got excited about it, presented it to the board of commissioners. I was surprised. I thought they'd be scared to death to go out on an $8 million gamble, but they were very excited about it because in their eyes, Hey, we set this development authority up 10 years ago. We've been waiting for a juicy project like this. Here it is. Let's do it. Mm. So the board was all behind it. And then from then there on, it was, Aaron had a lot of hurdles to jump over. First problem was at the time, the timing wasn't great because COVID was right around the time COVID was hitting the United States. We weren't getting a lot of interest in development. The original development that we had in mind, which would have been a conference hotel, we missed out on by a couple of months because one of our neighbors to the South did the same concept with in conjunction with a local university. And we just didn't have a lot of interest from outside developers. We were hitting a deadline on when we were going to have to start repaying interest in principal. And the decision was made that we're just going to develop this ourselves. So the development authority hired an architect, they designed something. We hired a commercial realtor, we hired a, a consultant too, a real estate consultant. And we just, we got lucky that one of the big ones we got lucky with was we heard that Trader Joe's, which people around here have been trying to get for years, was interested in the site because it's extremely visible. It's extremely easy to get to on and off reach 15. And so, yeah, they, they decided to come in. It was a very grueling process to go through paperwork with them. They have an army of attorneys, <laughs> believe me. And, but they were essentially the cornerstone. And then there was a hotel went in a few other shops. There's still two pads that are being developed, but uh, I essentially didn't do much. Once the board had decided to this, we were going to go forward with this project. Aaron really did all the heavy lifting. I was just here as a, but I like to consider myself the wise consultant. Yeah. But you could have been a huge obstacle. So going back on our conversation, yeah. I can recall you saying you were getting from developers or people saying, you're crazy for thinking you could do this. It's not like the township's huge. You have a large township, but it's not a decision that a development authority would normally make to develop it on their own. And the developers, you were relaying to me that the way they think is different from the way you were thinking about that this was something that you couldn't afford not to do because it was such a visible area. 
Whereas the developers might have waited until the price was driven down. That's right. That's fair assessment. We, it's a rather large project for a municipality our size to take on. But again, we weren't concerned that it wouldn't work out. I guess you most, most of what you get concerned is that, are you going to make your money back? Because it's nice to break even. It's nicer to have a little bit left over to launch the next project. But what you don't want to do is end up in the red and have the general fund have to bail you out. But we did get a lot of criticism from some folks in the private sector that we were overstepping our bounds, that this was not the township's role. It was that uh, we were infringing on development, people in the development business. And I tried to explain to them, we don't want to develop the site. We just want to steer the development in site. We want to decide what goes in there. Now, I'm not going to mention any specific businesses, but there are businesses that we come in, they're easy to put up and then the developers build them and they're on their way. They do nothing to improve the economic condition of the township. They're not a tide which rises when they're salt boats. They're just there. And we did not want that. And again, we got some criticism. And the other thing I told some of these people, some of them are whom are my friends. I said, you're going to wait three years, four years, however long it takes for them to lower their price to the amount you want to pay. And in the meantime, there's going to be graffiti. There's going to be broken windows. There's going to be growing weeds. It's going to become an eyesore. It's extremely visible to it. Like I said, right along Route 15, and we don't want that. There's a lot of commercial around there and we want this to be an economic engine, not a drag. We'll take your slings and arrows, but uh, we're going to go on and do this and extremely happy with the result. Yes. And I just want to highlight this just in, again, that your role as a professional manager, as a public servant is much different. And I know your township to be fiscally conservative. I know you to be the same, a reflection of that. So you are not going to take risks that you don't feel are uh, within reason. And at the same time, you're weighing that value, the values of uh, you know, the economic development, which we know from, everybody has a different idea about this, but most of us can assess when we're driving someplace, wow, those are some pretty bad development decisions in terms of the feeling you get. If this is supposed to be an inviting area, that's a tough call. And you made that call. Not that you made decision by yourself, but you allowed that dis- decision to go forward, which I think could not have been easy. At although well, I've always viewed that as my my role here at the township as the manager is not to know everything, not to create everything, but to create the environment for creative people to come up with those things. I think we've been extremely lucky with our our hires, especially in the director level. Great people, and they yeah. do great things. I'm glad to be associated with you. And I think there's also a challenge that we discussed that can lead into another topic that we wanted to talk about today. But the challenge you mentioned on that project was on the tail end. And as it rolled out, you talked about the fact that there was a need for some zoning changes. Everything wasn't quite in place that you had hoped, you wished it could have been, but that you simply didn't have the staff or the capacity to do everything that needed to be done. Maybe you could say a little bit more about that, because I'm sure others can relate to that challenge. Yeah, so these happen to be parallel issues. We did what was called the Gettysburg Road Corridor Study. We have a long road, Gettysburg Road. Actually, it changes the name several times, but it's all part of the same corridor. Uh, it runs east, east to west across the northern tier of our township, and there's a lot of opportunity in there for us to develop. 
comprehensive study was done and a design plan came out of that several years ago. And it's very nice, very interesting. It's got a lot of greenery, like glanes, the whole nine yards. But it, it's parallel. It's maybe a couple of blocks away from where this development took place at the Bontoc, or Bontoc. We've been working on trying to get some zoning changes done in order to make the Gettysburg Road plan more viable. And we just been, we've had some issues with staffing here. People have retired. We haven't been able to hire everybody we wanted to hire. So people have left for other opportunities and the zoning ordinance is sitting, waiting to be worked on. We just haven't had the staff to do it. It's admittable. We couldn't do it. Meanwhile, the, the effect of our, what we call the Lower Allen Commons. Now that is the name of the Florida Bonton site. Lower Allen Commons had its desired effect. And now we've got some people that are interested in doing some development around that area. And it may not necessarily be a business that we want in that area, but the current zoning allows it. So we've got some people that wish residents had come in and said, Hey, you know, what about this getting trip road plan? This is really cool. We really like this. This really doesn't fit. And we try to explain to them that unfortunately they're allowed to be in there they, 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 for the current zoning and they're, they don't understand what it takes to change zoning. So why don't you just change the zoning ordinance? It's not that easy. It takes a lot of work. There's a lot yeah. of words in there and you have to consider yeah. the ramifications of your actions and what happens if we change this, what ripple effect does that have over there? They generally have to hire a you know, consultant to do it. We're on the verge of being able to do that. It's just that right now we've got this little span of time where people are interested in doing things and they have to do it under the old zoning ordinance. Yeah. Yep. So that's a big challenge. And, and we talked about how that, that there was a, at the time just the stopping to get everything into place out of that. I guess it was out of the comprehensive plan. It would have been over the last, what, five years, four years that you were really crunched. I'm not sure of the time frame. Last two or three years. Two or three years. Two been really crunched as far as yeah. stopping. Yeah. You mentioned the Gettysburg Project. I want to come back to that, but let's just talk a minute about the staffing because one of the conversations that really interested me that you and I had was we started out talking about the shifting demographics on your board, which by itself is very interesting. And I, maybe you can speak to that. But the, I, the thing, the question that came out of that conversation was about the defined benefit plan and that that had been changed to a defined contribution with the intention that this would be more like business. And we know this has happened all over the state. And I guess you had some inquiry about perhaps from your board about why this was done or if you could talk just, if you could recall how we got into this, because I think yeah. there's two things important here. It's the shift of the demographics that are, you're getting different kinds of questions and that this defined benefit versus defined contribution, which had been, has been a settled issue for years. Suddenly, I'm getting lots of questions about it. And I was interested that you also were getting questions about it. And it has to do with employment. So, Yeah, it was started about 10 years ago or maybe, where there was this interest in moving to a more private sector style of benefit as far as, especially in the area of pensions and health insurance. There are two big yeah. expenditures. And health, so there was a move in health insurance to have premium co-pays and increased deductibles and increased office visit co-pays and things like that. And, you know, we, and I'm not the only manager and a lot of managers warned their boards that, okay, if you're going to do this, then you're taking money out of employees' pockets, you're going to have to put it back somehow. 
So if you're going to move to a private sector benefit package, you're going to have to look at a private sector pay scale too. I can go to individuals here and let's face it, we don't get paid. We have an executive system here. They're probably getting $40,000 and in the private sector, they're getting 70 or twice that, double 40 or whatever. And they understood that and they adjusted, they adjusted pay scales as we went, but where it really got into an area I wasn't comfortable with was back in the, everybody remembers when we lost, most of us lost 30% of our value in our various pension plans because of the market issues. And we were no different. We lost 30% of ours. And I think what really pushed it was the state decided to go into a defined defined contribution plan. And I had board members at the time. I would just say that over most of my career, my, my board members have been very homogeneous. I mean, they're all the same demographic groups and things like that. Things have gone along a lot of, you know, a lot of agreement on things. They start asking questions about defined contribution and my finance director, Rick Grove and I were not in favor of defined contribution because essentially they're more expensive. If you enjoy load and you enjoy annual pay increases, contributions going to just continue to go up and we showed them a 20 year projection of what it would cost in 20 years if nobody here left. We had went for it anyway, and we didn't get rid of the defined benefit plan. The people who were in the defined benefit plan continue in that plan. It was only people hired after an electoral day, October, 2018, I think it was, who went into the defined contribution plan. I was commiserating or complaining about this to my president of my board. Who's a younger guy, and that's a good comment you made before about the changing demographics. I would say at one point, the average age of my board was seven. It is now probably 40. And uh, I have men and women on my board. Uh, they're all different ages from 20-something, all the way up, probably 29, 30, all the way up to... I do have one the gentleman is 75. It's a really good mix. But I was yeah. talking with my board president and complaining that Hiring was becoming a challenge for us. It's a challenge for everybody. I understand that. Pool is smaller. We're getting less applications. But, and I was concerned that our defined contribution plan may be a barrier to hiring. Conventional wisdom is that especially younger people coming in don't really think about pension plans because they can't conceive of, of retiring. It's just too far down the road. So they sure that's fine, whatever I get. And of course, defined contribution plans have the benefit of being portable, which defined benefit plans not. But what we found out is when they, once they join the team, they may not think about retirement, but they certainly become aware that there's a different plan or a second plan here that may be a little better for them, especially when the economy gets bad. Because defined benefit folks, if they're not affected, they have a promise of a payment and it's up to the municipality to make sure the money's there. By contribution, not so much. They retire with what they have. So I can't say that the defined contribution plan has kept us from hiring, but I am starting to wonder, and we're just starting to look into this issue now or get some data on it and begin to wonder if having a defined, being in a defined contribution plan has prevented us from retaining people. As we have, I know Rick Rowe went through and looked at some numbers and our retention rate has drop in a five in the most recent five-year period compared to the previous five-year period. Mm-hmm. We have not retained people as well as we used to. It could be for a variety of reasons. That's why I'm not ready to blame it on the defined contribution. But my comment to the board president was, we need as many tools as we can to bring people in and keep them. Yeah. Because it's a tough market and I don't want to be replacing 
we're taking a, we're taking a look at that defined contribution plan again, and it's going to come under the microscope in the next year or so, and yeah. see if that's going to be viable. I really hope that those listening to this podcast that have some experience around this would share what they're learning because I think we're all on a learning curve about this. <clears throat> that the, this idea that young people don't care about retirement may not be may not be true. At least once they start having a family, once they start talking to people inside the organization, I am seeing that in a recent interviews with employees at, at a township. We were doing a project where I had an opportunity to interview them about pay and benefits. And they were they knew exactly what municipalities still had the defined benefit program around. And that's where they they were looking. And I think the pay issue is also equally important that you brought up that you can't just move to private sector benefits and not move to private sector pay. And that may be unrealistic for local government to move to private sector pay. I, so, I would advise, yeah, I'd, I'd advise governments that are there that are looking lustily at these private sector benefits to not go that direction unless you're willing to increase pay levels yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a much broader question. It's not like a single peg. It belongs in a larger package Correct. to consider. Yeah, I was, so the shift of demographics, I guess the other question <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, I think you... You shared with me, I wanted to ask you, are there different kinds of things that are coming up now that maybe didn't come up years ago? And I think it was you who said to me, they ask more questions. Did you say that to me? Yeah, I did. Yes. <laughs> I like that. And I have heard that a couple of times. So they want to know, what are the, some of the things that, that you find in general your board is asking about and concerned about today that maybe you haven't? spend as yeah, much time on previously. What I'm finding is that the, the younger members of my board want to be more involved. They, they want to understand thoroughly the issues. And it's not a reflection on former commissioners who they read what we gave them and they understood the, they understood the issues, but these younger people, they want to understand them deeper, more thoroughly. And so they want to come in and sit down and talk with me or talk with Rick or talk with Aaron or even some of our staff, but to try to understand things. And uh, it's in a blessing and a, definitely a blessing, but a curse in a way that now you're taking up people's time. But on the other hand, we have a board who's making thoughtful decisions yes. and, and they understand the issues before they, before they vote. Yep. There was a scenario I was a part of, and the conversation was between a group of management employees that had been active in this municipality for some years. Most of them had a lot of experience and it was a new manager of a younger generation. And one of the things that came up and it wasn't hostile, it was just open conversation that they were not used to giving that much material to the elected body. And the manager was saying, this is what they need. It's what they're asking for. And that that he's aware that there's a line. But he was really struggling to find, I think, the language to satisfy this group that that said, we've never had to do this before. We don't like this. How would you advise for managers that might be dealing with this tension? Do you have any advice for them or what's too much information or how do you handle this as the manager? Yeah, I've been in the same situation with younger, some of my directors wanting to give too much information. Too much now, information. There's, there's not a, I can't come up with a hard and fast rule. It's just from experience, from being there, I know what is going to generate useful conversation and what is just going to veer us off into the weeds. You don't want to give too much information or information that won't progress the dialogue, the discussion. I can tell, and I, and I try to 
take things out of the packet and go back to the director and say, we don't really need to give this to them because here's why. Go ask a million questions, you know, and it won't get us to what we're, we really want, which is a vote on this project or whatever. So there's no need to give them a whole bunch of information on somebody who, let's say, didn't get the bid. Give them a name, give them the amount of the bid, and that's really all you have to give them. I'm going to give them a bunch of background information because it's just going to veer down that road and start asking a lot of questions. And really what we want them to do is vote on the low bid. So I don't have a hard and fast rule on how to tell the difference, but I will say that the younger, I would say the younger generation of commissioners, as I said before, really want to understand they like getting, they like getting a lot of information. My board even asked me, we used to send packets out on Friday afternoon for them to review over the weekend because our meetings are on Monday. And they have, they actually asked if we could manage to get the packets out by Thursday evening because they need more time to review them. So they, I know they're reading them and they're reviewing them and they want to understand that. And I said, Hey, I'll get the packets out whenever you want us to. We'll work on that. And it's not a problem. Yeah. There is probably more range of information going on now than there has been at any earlier time in my career. But still at the role of the manager, you are really gauging that you are, I don't know what the right word is, but it's, it's coming through you so that you're managing the flow. It's a skill. It's a, I don't know that it's a competency, maybe political awareness is one, but some other competencies here that I guess I, I, I am struck by it because I see managers do this so well. They know exactly what needs to go forward. And particularly if I'm giving a, like a really detailed report, which I will do, I'll get very analytical and they'll say, okay, now we need a summary and it's just going to be these things. And it is a, I guess it's an important aspect of communication. And of course, the body of the elected officials, they don't want too much information, which they then have to manage with the public. So it's helpful to them as well. They, a good elected official will know that they can rely on the manager to give them just what they need and not more. That, that's a very good point that you bring up is when you have new people on the board, it, there's a period where they have to learn to trust. And they do come. If you have a good staff and staff is very upfront and accommodating, it doesn't take long for the elected official to learn, hey, these folks are doing the right thing. They have their best in mind for our residents and, and I can trust them. But when they first get on the board, they don't know that. They don't know us. They don't know me. They have no experience with what I do or what my staff does. Yeah, they, they're there a lot. They're on your leg. They, they want to know that stuff, but give them what they want. Tell them what they want to know. You give them the information they want to know and they'll learn to trust you. Yeah. We're reaching that point with some of my newer board members where they're not quite as in, they're still involved, but ask for quite as much. Yeah. Relying on what I give them is what they need and they, I'm not hiding anything. So. Will they stop in your office and just say, hey, I just, there's one thing about this I just didn't understand. Can we talk about it? Is it that kind of situation? Luckily, they don't stop in too often. Usually they call first and which is good. It helps me arrange time a little bit, but usually it's, yeah, it's, can I ask you a question about this invoice or why did we buy this from these people? Or, or why are we, why are we reducing those security on this project or it's that kind of stuff? They want to know why we're doing that, but they'll call, they'll come in, they'll sit down or they'll call me on the phone and say, do you mind if I call Mr. Grove, the finance director and sit with him for a little while? And no, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that they call me first, Yeah. but yeah, that's what we're, we're going to work for them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a treasure trove of wisdom, I think, for them to have a manager that has 
been there for a long time. And I want to build on our previous conversations and go back to this Gettysburg Road Project. You brought up this idea of the Transportation Development District, and you said you got this idea from a conference, which I loved, and then you came back and you explored it. But I want to also, if you could say a few words, that the relationship wasn't exactly, it wasn't all smooth. And I think about this, I have a neighbor. I thought about this conversation. I have a neighbor and we share gutters because I'm in a condo. And I was like, the gutter people told me that we, I, that guy has to do something to his gutters in order for my gutters to work better. And I'm like, how do I get, because he doesn't really care. Like, he doesn't want to do something to his, the fact that I have a problem. I said, I, my problem is not going to be fixed until you fix this on your gutter. And I thought that's like this transportation development district. I need to get a district of yeah. a gutter district. Go ahead and talk about that idea. Yeah, that was, that was rather interesting too. The basic problem was a Gettysburg road, which was a heavily traveled road car wise was built over top of an underground Creek. It was built over a section of the Cedar run that goes underground. So when it rains a lot, water comes up, water table comes up, road is covered with water. Now, back in the day when it was just a car route, wasn't that big of a deal. People could use other routes. The problem started around in the eighties when a large industrial park was built back. It's called the, it's called independence and it's in upper Allen township. A lot of track truck traffic, 800 trips a day. When the road would flood at times, we would have to close the road, which didn't sit well with the businesses back there because they have cargo that needs to go in and out. They didn't like having the road, the trucks parked. Plus they run out of spaces to park the other trucks. We had them parked along Wesley drive too, because they couldn't get in. It couldn't go in, could come out. When we did start opening the road, it would, there was cracking, potholing because this asphalt was essentially floating on water and you have a tractor trailer driver, which just destroys it. So this problem had been going on for a few decades and we looked at several ways to try to fix it. And it was just, everything was very expensive. So I'm sitting at a conference once and one of our sessions was on alternate financing opportunities or methods. And they were talking about improvement districts, TIDs and NIDs and all the IDs. And I, I was driving home thinking about it going, I don't know why we couldn't apply this to that. The main problem with why we couldn't get a solution was the road was in lower Allen Township. The traffic was coming from upper Allen Township. We didn't want to fix the road for their traffic, knowing it's just going to get broke down again. And they didn't, of course, want to pay any money to fix a road in Lower Allen Township. So we had to come up with a, uh, we had to come up with a solution. Luckily, the upper Allen at the time was Lou Fasikas, who many people know. Lou's a very intelligent guy, had been a lieutenant colonel in the army, used to handling problems like this and was willing to listen to my idea. And that's what happened. Is Plus, we, we ended up getting a grant for $1.2 million which helped a lot. And so the developmental costs only were that we did all the paperwork we had to do to set up a traffic improvement district and drew the boundaries, talked to the, we had many public meetings with the people that were in, in that they didn't like the idea of paying a fee. What we settled on was it was broken down by traffic counts, number of trips a day. And that's how it was prorated. And it was only over a five-year period. So the total cost divided by five, they paid an annual amount and none of them were happy about paying that amount, but what they were happy about, or at least went along with was the fact that this problem was going to be fixed. The road was not going to be closed anymore. And the way we solved it was not just 
rebuilding the existing road. We moved the road and we thought this is stupid. Why are we going to have a road over top of a creek? So we turned it about, I don't know, 45 degrees to the Northeast, connected it with an existing road. So instead of having two three-way intersections, we now had one floorway with better turn radiuses and better signage, better lighting. And the old road, we were just, we just dug out, made it part of the stormwater system. So the giant retention pond there and new pipes to carry the water away when it reaches a certain height. Yeah. And it's worked out. The, uh, their payments have been paid off now for, it's been several years since they, everybody finished mm -hmm. making their payments. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. And now we have a new road. It has never flooded once since then. And I hope it never does. So else I'll be on the phone with some engineers. And I think that just Lou was also somebody that, that, as you said, understood the nature of the problem and that you had a relationship that perhaps had been built from other projects that you'd worked on. I don't know. You are on the same share boundary. I met Lou when I first came into this job. I knew of him as the assistant manager. Lou had been at Hamden Township under John Bradley and then had take, had moved and taken over the job at Upper Allen Township when their previous manager left. And yeah, being neighbors, Lou and I got to work together on a lot of projects. He was also a big believer in professional education and he was a member of APMM. First, we saw each other at seminars and conferences and spent a lot of time talking. I consider Lou, still do, to be a good friend. He's retired yeah. now, actually just yeah. enjoying life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great to work together with him. Took a photo of the two of us together with the plan in front of us for that. That's what we sent in to, to the DCED for their excellence in government award. And we did receive the award for that project. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that's great project. Again, I can say that testify because I live around here. What made you get involved in APM? You worked your way up to president. I'm going to talk about your signature project there. You had so much on your plate. What what made you take that extra responsibility on? I don't know. I think it's a sickness. <laughs> I thought you were going to um, say something noble, like you wanted to learn more from your peers. I've been, I've always been, I've always been a big believer in professional education. Always. I find it's got a dual benefit. I get as much just from my networking at those mm, professional yeah. associations as I do from the actual sessions. They're very valuable and they will make you a better manager, whatever you, you are, if you're a for finance director, relying mm -hmm. the GFO will make you a better finance director because you will learn things that you wouldn't have thought of on your own. But I was involved with GFOA in the earlier part of my career as a finance director, and I became president there for a while. And so when I joined the APMM, when I became manager here, it was just natural to get involved with my, my local professional association. And Met a lot of great people and felt invisible a little bit at the beginning because I didn't really know a lot of people. I knew people from around here, but just my nature, I want to talk to people, meet people. And I met some really great people early on who helped me in my career. But getting involved at the higher level is just something I've always done. In different mm -hmm. walks of life, whether it's my kids' sporting organizations or my local civic organization, whatever it is, I always end up taking leadership roles, which I said, a sickness. Or somebody could help me. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. So my kids even joke and say, everything that you get involved with, eventually take over. What is it? <laughs> but you're different. I'll tell you, Tom, you have a quiet leadership style, which I think appeals to a lot of people. Maybe it's a little like the duck that's paddling under the water. And so you can't see how much work is going on, but you do make it look easy. And I know it's not. 
And and I think it is interesting. I was very much drawn to the project that you were talking about in your presidency, just trying to attract young people to the profession. I'd never thought about it before, but I certainly saw that we were re- reaching a critical point where there wasn't in the recruitment. There were certainly candidates with potential, but didn't have the experience or the some of the academic training. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about that, some of the ideas about creating more visibility. I know this continues to be an interest of yours. It, it does. And it occurred to me that it's, there's been a lot of discussion over the past even decade about the graying of the profession. And then essentially, eventually we're going to reach a point. There's only, we're here. There's going to be more people leaving the profession than coming in. And how do we get people to come in and take over our jobs? And just in talking to people, it, it, it occurred to me that actually that there's not a lot of recognition out there amongst young people that this is even an option for a career. They talk about, they want to go into forensics. That's a big deal right now. Or they want to go into business or they want to be an attorney or, and all that's noble, but nobody actually tells them that there are people who fill the parks and fill the potholes and make the streets safe that you do this for a living and get it. And it's a decent, living. again, conventional wisdom is that the pay is low, but the benefits are high. So it, it's a worthwhile thing. And when I became, when I was becoming the president of the APMM, I figured I, I need to have, what's my big deal? What's the focus of my administration? And since everybody had been talking about recruiting and re- getting new people in, I thought that'll be it. We had some structures set up. We had a, an emerging leaders group mm-hmm. within the APMM. We had some other folks within there who were interested in the same thing. And so we started a conversation and uh, sat with some, some of the staff at the municipal league to figure out how we can get this going forward. And there were some ideas and we were brochure. There was a video that was being worked on. But the, the problem is you, as president, you only get a year yeah. after that, you're, you're past president. And uh, my successor, Amy Rockwell, who I had spoke to about this, and she was interested in continuing it. Amy had the misfortune of having her presidency during the first year of COVID. So not much happened. It wasn't, staff wasn't working with the league much. They were working away. And they were keeping things going, but this was not a priority of theirs. Some, I I would like to see them get back in. And the idea was to have brochures and videos that you could take out to job fairs or high school career days and talk to people, set up a booth, let them in the point of the brochure. I think the meat of the idea of it was the whole think globally, but act locally idea of everybody wants to improve their community. They want to improve the world, but you can start in your own backyard by building better parks, controlling stormwater runoffs, making your streets safer, having better equipment to fight fires. You can do all those things and they all improve your neighborhood or your your city, and you can be a part of that. It doesn't, not everybody fly off to the rainforest and say that, but you can do something locally. I'll tell you, I know the ICMA conference is coming to Pittsburgh. Just taking some kids on a tour through the ICMA conference for an hour, letting them see the booths, letting them see all of the sort of excitement that happens there, I think would be a real turn on. It might be a an opportunity, Tom, just for Pennsylvania, just to take advantage of that. I don't know if the conference committee would look at that. I think we we'll have to find out who's on the conference committee, but that would be a fun thing to do. And you really wouldn't have to do a lot other than give them a tour and maybe do some refreshments and some mix and mingle kinds of things. Let them see one of the keynote speakers, something like that. But yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what it is. You've got to reach out to people, to young people before they make a decision on what they're going to do with their lives. And the people that have to do this are the ones who have the biggest stake yeah. in bringing them in. And that's us. That's the people yeah. who are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I know that your organization, including yourself, over the next decade, will probably see some changes in retirements. Are you beginning to think about that? Do you have any? This is going to be a topic this summer. I think July, I want to focus on this. But any, some ideas that you're thinking about relative to succession? Yeah, we developed a succession plan I wrote up a couple of years ago. And it's one of those things you don't just write it and put it in on the shelf, it has to be updated every once in a while. I think a lot of municipalities are going to be in the same boat I am. We don't, our departments aren't large enough to have people within them who are necessarily going to rise to the leadership position. For example, my finance department, I've got four people in my finance department. None of them want to be, aspire to be a finance director. And we had the same problem with our engineer and human resources. So. Developing people from within is a great idea, and we are doing that where we can. Where you can't, though, you have to decide who are you going to bring in, how soon are you going to bring them in, how long do you want them here to learn the job with their with the current occupant of the job. And that's what we've been focusing on. In fact, I have a meeting here at 2.30 to talk about that very thing in one of our departments. Yeah, yeah so that's what we're thinking about doing right now is for those people I can't fill replace from inside, at what point do we bring somebody in to learn at their feet and get ready for them to take over when the current occupant retires? Yeah. I, there's something that, that has been very clear to me over the last several years and that the focus, in my mind, perhaps from my perspective coming in as a consultant, has more to do with continuity. So there's the leadership role. That's who you're going to hire for. The, maybe nobody in the department wants to take on that leadership management piece. But the continuity of the everyday processes, that means if somebody does the proverbial gets hit by the bus, which I never liked, but gets the point across it, we don't know that there's still a system in place that, that we know processes have to be completed. And you and I have talked a little bit about that, like when somebody goes away on vacation and whatever needs to be done to keep the motion forward, but that those leadership pieces at the top is the ones where you're really enough the time's going to have to go look for. Yep. And they're hard to find. Yeah. That's where we're there. There are some people I know who have been influential to you in your profession, and I know you can't name them all, but since we really are, this podcast is about highlighting this profession. I wonder if you could take a couple minutes just to name a few that you think have influenced you and maybe are coming up in the profession. I'm going to leave this as uh, your few moments to share what has been well, impactful to you. Yeah, there were so many guys. When I first joined the APMM and started going to conferences, you can pretty much identify who the, the, uh, the grand tribunal is. You see the guys and everybody's talking to them. Everybody's gravitating toward them and they're on panels and things like that. Those are the guys I admired. And I said, I got to, I got to get to know those guys. Those are the guys I got to get to know. And there were just so many of them. Like around here, I'd say Jerry Andre, Dean of Municipal Management. I actually just missed Jerry. I miss being a, I miss being a, a peer of Jerry yeah. by a couple of months because he was here at Hamden Township and yeah. had moved back west to Cranberry before I took this job. But, but he left. John Bradley behind him, the Admiral. 
and John was a great, talk about a calm leader. John was just confident, didn't get riled up about anything. There was George Wolf over at Lower Paxton Township, great resource for me. I live in Lower Paxton, so I felt comfortable calling George and picking his brain about any number of things. Well, yeah, there was a Fred Bean. Fred was at Carlisle at the time. Tom Fontaine up in State College. Going out west, there was Tom Laverini. I remember that name. She's Tom Fontaine still managing and yeah. going yeah. strong. Yeah. And Jerry Andre, he will be on a podcast coming up in a few weeks, I'm excited to say. That that's great to hear. Yeah. I know some folks down in the east that I admire for the work that they do mentoring new managers. But have to I would have to mention Stephanie Cools or Stephanie Tioli Cools. Who the woman's a factory. She's put out some really good people, including Sandra Zadell, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Sandra. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. There's been some really smart and influential people. Uh, Ron Wagaman, mm -hmm. I guess I could stop at some point again. I, yeah. I told you before, I, I didn't want to get into this because <laughs> I don't want to forget anybody. So my brain's not Don Pepe out West was another one who recently retired. So yeah, these guys were great influences on my career. I, Appreciate all mm. the advice and help they've given me over the years. A lot of good young people coming up. I know I mentioned to you before that made a conscious decision a couple of years ago to stop teasing millennials. It's a pastime the guys my age like to do, but I'm here to tell you, there's people coming up in this profession that are for real. They're smart young people. And I told one of them, my friend, uh, David Pabalka, that Dave, you're a pretty smart guy. I'm going to stop teasing you for being a millennial. <laughs> he just laughed it off, but David's, David's a guy, he's, he's, yeah. He's got it together. He's going to be a leader in the future. He is now. He's in line to actually be president of APM. My own assistant manager, Aaron Trone, powerful, very intelligent woman. There's, oh, who was it that, yeah, again, I know I'm going to, I'm going to forget names. <laughs> Dave Kratzer is another guy who oh, yes. I admire greatly. I'm glad he's back in the exactly. profession. He took a little detour into the private sector for a while, but he's yeah. back. And uh, He and I were on a panel this last summer with, at CCAP and he got me on the panel. And we were talking about benefits in the public sector and attracting talent. And the more we talked, the more I could see Dave's face change. And afterwards, he said, public sector really is a pretty good deal. He just nodded his head. And I, when I heard he was considering going back, I was excited. <laughs> but I think he realized once he left that there are some real benefits. And interesting about Dave, I will say, I don't think he'll mind me saying this. I think I've shared it in, in one of the newsletters. He also just missed the sense of urgency every day, that there was just always important work to be done. And no matter where you went, I think that was something that, that managers thrive on. Yeah. You've named some great people here and you mentioned several women. I think that's an area when you started, there was probably not very many women. Is that true at the conferences or were they starting to appear? There's... There was always some around. There's never been enough. I still don't think there's enough. So I would, that's something I would like to see a better mix, more women, young women coming into the profession. I mean, there are differences in the genders as much as we like to believe there aren't. And I think there's just a special understanding of patience that women bring to the profession. It, it, it could use more of. Yeah. It's becoming, yeah, I... especially in this era where people were becoming more demanding of openness and not that we try to hide anything, but you just don't, some of us don't think about putting information out there. It's just not in the front of our mind, but the society is becoming such that in order for them to trust government, 
They want it to be wide open and clear. And I think it just goes to the point of diversity all in, in, in so many areas. It provides this perspective, which you're good at. You're good at listening to different perspectives. And I think that's important for a leader to, to be able to listen and to hear different perspectives and that there is enough diversity within the workforce that they, it can really create a better responsive environment for the needs of the community as well. There, there's lots of pieces to this and it's happening in the elected officials too. You mentioned your board has changed and I certainly have seen that as well. And some of the boards that I've worked with that, so there's, I, I hear that uh, the Pioneer and Change community, which this podcast, Pioneer Change Community Podcast, you'll say local managers, they don't really change that much. I said, it, I get that, but it, it really is a part of your life these days. It is. It's, More, it's not a matter of liking it or not liking it. It's getting ready for it. It's coming. You're yeah. not going to stop it. Nobody's ever stopped change. Yeah. 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 It's the way we approach it. Tom, I'm going to let you go. And I just enjoyed this conversation as I do all of our conversations. And on this, this building the pipeline with young people, you've always got me on the team. If you want to call and do something with that, maybe at that ICMA conference next year, if that works first, something else. So they can stop making devote energy. I'm sorry. You, they'd also like to come up to the Hershey Hotel where you guys do, you yeah. know, your conferences up there. I'm sure that would be a young group of high school students coming in and sitting in on one of your sessions and then they would get a big kick out of that too so anyway just a thought that's a, it's a good thought i'll bring it yeah. up I'll mention it to some folks yeah i'd like to see that some kind of effort to resume at least from the apmm and it's funny I, my finance director is a member of the gfoa and he said he told me they've been having the exact same conversations with the gfoa mm -hmm. they're looking for solutions as well yeah. yeah, we just got to get out there and reach the young people, let them know that the jobs are here, the opportunities are here, and the opportunity to change your community, make it for the better. I think it's great. So they're here. It's a great message. Thank you, Tom. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Nancy. It's been a pleasure as always. Yep. Hope we talk very soon. Okay, wonderful. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 